Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Double or Nothing podcast. I'm Michael Frazes, and I have with me Misha Saul. How are you going, Misha? I'm awesome. I'm uh, I'm dialing in from sunny Noosa. This is my first time up here. I didn't realize there's a place literally dedicated for families. It's not like Byron full of backpackers and young people and single people. It's literally prams and pregnant ladies and kids everywhere. <laughs> Thank God. So I don't feel uh, left out with my troop of little humans yeah no it's a very friendly place i've only been once but i remember even like the surf was kind of friendly you know just yeah yeah everything's friendly it's very nice uh you know i think it's, i think it's a good spot to come up with a fam yeah absolutely well today we've got quite a, quite a bit's happened in the last week so you had a cpi print which took put markets into a bit of a tailspin um there was a acquisition by adobe of figma for 20 billion dollars which was just announced uh and then following on our conversation last time we had twilio um, just announced an 11% reduction in their workforce. But I reckon before we get on to that, um, you caused a bit of a stir on the internet, got like retweeted and commented by some very famous people um, about an essay that you wrote. So I thought maybe we could talk about that. I mean, the essay seems to be about like heroes and how the idyll- idyllic hero, and I promise you this is interesting, idyllic heroes kind of changed over time. Um, and it is really interesting to look at even like the same characters be represented at different times in completely different ways. Um, so you're happy to talk about that? What was like the core thesis of, of the essay? Yeah, I'll, I'll chat on briefly. It's very non-financy. So um, people who listen to our, you know, investing prowess can uh, can skip forward or whatever. So the, the essay is titled The Heroes We're Allowed because, um, you know, I, I watch like, I've watched Disney cartoons as a kid. I've got kids now, so I kind of rewatch these cartoons. You know, we all watch movies and superheroes dominate cinemas, et cetera. And I, and I noticed that... Um, uh, and look, this is, I was kind of riffing off something Mark Andreessen said on a, on a, on a podcast, but you, I noticed that you can't, we can't have good, great men, so to speak. You know, you, you, you either, all heroes, like the protagonists are only allowed to be reactive, only villains have plans and grand mm-hmm. ambitions and and the good guys can only foil them. They don't have grand ambitions. So we, we you know, we don't have a, a great series about Napoleon or, um, you know, someone who goes out there and does something really great or or about founders. You know, the, you know, the, 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 even, even the social network, they had to make a bunch of bad things up about Zuckerberg to make him, um, you know, not quite the, he's kind of like the hero we deserve. You know, he can't just be a good guy with a grand vision trying to build something great there's something we we distrust and something nefarious about that and i kind of looked at it through a through a christian nietzschean superman lens where um you know this is the christian ethic that we all kind of swim in where we um we we do not trust um the 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 superman you know the nietzschean superman in nothing in our culture nothing in our films um is allowed to portray just a grand hero going out to to do something great and i kind of look at it through the lens of um you know trace it through moses daenerys and game of thrones um uh you know the nightmare before christmas which is my favorite um you know uh musical i've been watching it like a time with my, my kids, obviously a, a, a cartoon, um, all the all the way through to um, you know, superheroes and Breaking Bad and the like. So that that's the crux of it. Um, and mm. uh, yeah, it I was I was really pleased. It, it got a bunch of reception. It was really fun to write. Yeah, it was really interesting. I mean, um, I guess there's that that traditional Disney Pixie storyline where there's like, you know, that call to action. The hero then declines the action. The hero is like a humble, like say a Luke Skywalker. 
just doing his own thing. He refuses the 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 demand, um, and then typically something happens. You know, in that case, you know there was um, his uncle and auntie were like killed by stormtroopers. Um, but th- th- and then and then after that call to action, then he goes. It's always like that reluctance. It's like I'm just a humble person. But I think it just that story arc just resonates so well that Disney like has built you know a, a century of you know, amazing stories about it. I wonder what it is. Is it like, is it because you're so relatable to that everyday person who's doing nothing? And it's like in our dreams, we kind of want, like that's actually what speaks to us because most of us live like modern cozy lives maybe. And I'm just thinking out loud. Um, yeah, I, I think I think like, I think that story arc doesn't fit super neatly on this like i i think um uh I, i'm gonna mispronounce it but like that almost fits the, the classic bilgensroman which is this german term for um you know the a kind of coming of age story mm. for a for a boy kind of going out adventure to the world and, and all these mm. things kind of happen and and actually i think like that's that kind of storyline's also in decline like if you look at june um, like that kind of actually fits a Superman. Like Atreides is a kind of prince who then kind of goes and kind of takes on an, an mm. empire and, and tries to. Win. So, so it actually like that that doesn't fit super super neatly into this um, into this thing. But like you know, uh, there you know, Darth Vader is the one who wants to kind of create this Republic Empire thing and you've got these kind of Jedis kind of thwarting it so yeah so I mean it depends which lens you can take and, and the risk here is that we end up cherry picking and you know kind of ch- cherry picking um, characters and ideas to, to, to fit the storyline but but they're interesting characteristics you know often these um, these great these Nietzsche and Superman you know are, are pretty sexless is, is one thing that 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 Mark Andreessen for example um, picked up on you know Darth Vader is like you know like 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 or um or Walter White you know sure they might have a wife or or, or whatever but overall they're so enamored with the vision they want to achieve they don't have time to be you know Tony Soprano is a nice counterexample to this but but he's kind of an exception where he's kind of you know he's got all these gumas and uh, and and like but but it's interesting kind of they've all got these very kind of consistent characteristics and I try to kind of bundle it all up into to one story in in in, in the piece. Mm. You're right about one thing. If there's if there's a character like that, it's like the filmmakers have to make them bad. Like Walter White, everybody like loves Walter White, and so they had to make him do those horrible things. Well, it, it's really, really, they're too horrible. Like they're almost like they're kind of almost incongruous with his actual character. Well, well, Walter White's an interesting example. So the, the thesis of the start was how do I take um you know the super nice guy and turn him to Scarface yeah and what does a journey actually look like? And so it's it's kind of deliberate, but, but then um as you know like. The audience become you know start to love that, and and that's something that that, that else is consistent w- with all these stories. There's a deep charisma with this will to power. You know, even Tony Montana, the actual Scarface. You know, you love mm-hmm. him. You can't help but hate him. You know, most most people so but but love him. You know, most people that um that fall under his kind of gun or whatever are like bad guys and other gangland dudes and and, and whatever. And so it's actually super sympathetic. And and you know the audience was re- revolted actually by Skylar Walt's wife who was kind of clamping down on him. And she mm. represents the kind of that Christian ethic that kind of represses that you know very masculine will to power and similarly um in 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 yeah, um uh you know in um what's it called um 
the name escapes me, but but you, you're right. Like, there's something very ca uh, charismatic about these characters. Oh, and so so in Sopranos, the showrunners had to make the comment that the audience would fall in love with Tony Soprano too much, and and they'd have to make them do something really revolting and really mm. vile to kind of smack the audience and say, "How dare you, you like these guys? You're not allowed to like like these guys." But but people really can't help but be attracted mm. to these um, people with, with, with grand visions, which is which is something interesting. And I, um, we touched on a previous podcast, but I wrote an essay about the dangers of storytelling um, Hitler because, you know, pre-1919, he's kind of, you know, a, a patriot. He abstains from women. He abstains from drinking. Um, you know, he's got strong views. He wants to remake the, the country. He hasn't really exhibited any unusual anti-Semitism or done any kind of crimes or anything. And actually, he's just kind of resisting this far then. And there's a real danger in kind of telling, like, if you just read his biographies, you're like, hang on. This is like the you know the, the the biographer often has to kind of interject and say, and he does all these horrendous things later on because there's a there's a danger you kind of get seduced by his will to power, and so um, this is interesting the dynamic that no matter how revolting the, the character, there's actually something very attractive and seductive and charismatic about that will to power. Mm. But anyway, um, we should probably so let, think... let people read the essays if they want. We, we, yeah, uh, just one quick, one quick question on that. One quick question that I wanted to ask you. So, yeah. obviously, you're Jewish. I was kind of raised Greek Orthodox. Do you think there's like a difference between Jewish and Christian histories, his heroes here? Difference between Jewish yeah, totally, and, and I and I mentioned this in the essay, and um, and I, I think you know it's good you mentioned gr Greek Orthodox as well. Like if you look at the Greeks, okay, so if you look j just really zoom out historically, um, you've got Achilles, and you've got you know the gods there, the gods, the, the Greek gods are vindictive petty jealous they do not command they go there they they rape they kill they do their thing they sponsor their their heroes and the heroes like achilles and and um uh, uh and, and 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 ajax and, and the other guys you know they're they're around they're, like they're um they're not out there to um you know uh their virtues are strength and winning glory and, and the like um and then you kind of go forward to um to, to Jewish heroes and I kind of I kind of dive deep into Moses a little bit in in the Old Testament his story about um uh, delivering this you know the the Hebrews the Jews out of Egypt which is you know a very deep part of um kind of Jewish law um and then and then taking them to the promised land it actually kind of follows a like a Daenerys like path where you know his miracle working um takes slaves out, out of bondage and it ends in the um slaughter of the midianites and conquering the lands of canaan and so um and, and, and moses is unequivocally a good humble uh leader hero in in jewish law like he's religiously a very very important um prophet but that is really not the kind of leader typically like that is not the story that we are we are typically told because it kind of ends in in victory and in ultra in violence and so yeah. and so you kind of get this and then obviously you have Christian heroes okay and and we can kind of cherry pick and we talk about the Crusades and, and that's all a little bit different but the the kind of like like if you take the cartoon Hercules the Disney cartoon which which I love but that's a really nice inversion of the Greek that classic Greek mythology ethic where the only way Hercules is able to become a hero and join his 
father and, and mother on Olympus um, is actually by dying and sacrificing himself for the one he loves. And so he does that, and then he's redeemed, and he rises from the dead, and he can join Zeus. And so you've got this in, like really intense Christianization yeah. of this Greek myth. And so you can kind of follow the, um, the evolution of this ethic from the Greek gods to um, to the Old Testament through to the New Testament. And, you know, obviously you know, I'm, I'm Jewish and I kind of live in Old Testament world a little bit. But, you know, I'm I live in Australia and I live, you know, and so I live in a, in a Christian ethic world, really. Um, and we all live in the Christian ethic world, really. And it's kind of interesting to, to tease apart, you know, um, how we look at heroes today and, and what defines a hero versus um, historic periods and, and other cultures it's interesting and that christian idea where like you're a sheep and there's a shepherd like i've always found that very like very interesting image and that's like the yeah. ideal or like all the stuff about poverty and it's good to be poor and all that it's really interesting like kind of dynamic going on yeah um, nietzsche wrote about you know Christ christianity is really rather slave mentality and kind of how um you know how it's really the, the, the like a slave morality that's kind of around. So, and I kind of riff on that. It's a bit controversial. Like I'm not sure I fully yeah. buy into it. <laughs> you if you want to bend too many yeah, well, and I'm I'm not buying into. It. I'm just saying, yeah. um, you know, I, I think like that. I think you can make a good counter argument, and some people, like a lot of people, have responded to this, and I think it's totally fair enough that actually, you know, um, Jesus was a revolutionary, and um, and you know, he had his own will to power that he defined a different way, and so you know, I think there's an interesting kind of argument to, to tease out there. Um, but anyway, I mean, I think I think there are like a lot of lenses, and and I think you know, I think you could say I'm I'm guilty of cherry picking a little bit but it's just a trend that, that i noticed yeah and it's just a few interesting thoughts anyway why, why yeah. don't we move on to like the more conventional finance, about finance. <laughs> yeah i wonder what first so adobe i thought adobe's acquisition of figma was interesting um the stock tank they, they bought a company for 20 billion dollars very very little information was given um but they did say they were doing 200 mil this year of revenue and expecting to end the year at 400 mil arr i presume run rate um on 20 bill that's that's a lot, right? That's kind of like a hundred times sales um, looking backwards. And it's amazing to see a transaction of that size go through in this market. Um, so, you know, I shared a tweet. It's like, that's more than, you know, Square, Twi not Square, Twilio, uh, Dropbox, Spotify, all those companies trade for less than 20 bill and then, and, and are globally significant. Um, and then you've got Figma, which may also be globally significant, but is obviously a fraction of the size. Um, it really seemed to me like a panicked move. I don't know. I'm not like super deep on the space. Did look at Adobe, but didn't haven't invested in it. Um, but it was interesting to see. It, I mean, Adobe. The background is Adobe was one of the best performing companies um, that you could buy on a risk adjusted basis. So basically, they bundled all their their products together. They put it on a on a license. They're kind of a little bit one of those companies that that had really strict licensing. So it wasn't like some online SaaS tool that you can easily sign up and get out of. You're signing like year-long contracts and they'll try and enforce them as, as strictly as they can. So you invest heavily in that side of the business for generally like kind of encourage you to bundle all kinds of things. And then the software is generally like pretty good, but also like a little bit buggy. Like there's a lot of people that complain about Lightroom and um, obviously Adobe Photoshop is like deeply entrenched in the creative community. Um, but at the same time, there's all kinds of up and comers, but it really felt like a bit of a panic move to buy Figma, which is more browser based, more friendly. Um, and you know, the stock dropped 17%. And I think it does, doesn't really speak to encouragement. Like, you know, it's Adobe should be building those products. Um, and I guess there's a big concern here now, what happens 
to Figma? Like, are they going to bundle it with Creative Cloud eventually? Are they going to try and just like kill it? Like, was this like a defense? Was this like, let's dilute, you know, it's a $170 billion company before the sell-off. Let's dilute 10% and just take out one of our major competitors, put it under our umbrella, and then we can either strangle it or, or let it let it go. Um, and I know, I know Adobe has done that in the past. So it was pretty interesting to see. And I think it's also interesting to see just from that market perspective, like paying that price in this market, um, you know, it's interesting. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's super interesting. Um, you know, I, I don't know Figma uh, deeply, but but Adobe overall um, is like one of those monopolists hiding in in plain sight, but they've got enormous share across their creative cloud, across their document management cloud, and they're they're kind of trying to keep you know um, you know a little bit of competition out there in the market, and, and I think that they have they've kind of been dismissive of Figma and Canva as competitors, but I think clearly they have been worried um and mm. so i think whether they do something with this and make it successful um you know that's a, that's a win obviously if they don't and they kind of kill it they probably consider that a bit of a win uh, as well in, in the way you described it um you know I, I do wonder whether it can be successful you know i think figma probably attracted a lot of a lot of talent um because it wasn't photoshop and it wasn't kind of this clunky giant bureaucratic monopolist mm. um and so um you know i, I think you, you know you, you probably expect in the normal course to get a lot of um staff uh, attrition and talent attrition um and so it'll, it'll be super interesting to 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 see what happens to that but i think you're right it does kind of give the game away that they're clearly um worried about the impact of of the figmas and the canvas um on on what they're up to i think i mean i think the, the whole story overall is um is frankly inspiring. You know, you do have these giants um, who are really good at what they do. Their earnings are really reliable. They're effective monopolists. And, you know, they can't build a, a Canva and they can't build a Figma, no matter how much money you kind of chuck at it, because it's not just a question of money. You know, it, it, it's, they're kind of uh, prescribed by their kind of, um, you know, their size and their their capability and the kind of talent they they they, they can attract. So um yeah, I mean it's super interesting. It's obviously a massive um you know it's it's a big price. So uh you know people, you know, both founders, investors and the like have come out yeah. with a massive win. They'll be pretty excited. Yeah, it reminds you it's still possible like tech it's even at this time people are still getting twenty billion dollar exits. It really shows you where like the value creation really is. It's in like building those companies from scratch. Oh, um, I, I mean, I, I don't think anyone doubts it. Like, there's no going back, okay? Like, I, I think next decade, you know, you're only going to see more software. You're only going to see more, you know, these companies are, are growing at a pretty fast clip. They're going to be much bigger. Um, You're going to see more of these kind of exits and, you know, more, um, you know, attractive companies be, being built. I mean, I think that's just, you know, um, I don't mean to be too deterministic about this, but, um, you know, I, I just think that's just the arc and the kind of arrow of money and technology. Yeah. I mean, it's also, it kind of shows how difficult it is investing in tech at the moment because you've got, I'd say you've got your Microsoft, Google, and those those kinds of companies. Um, they're all basically at, at, at their lows right now as we speak. So big sell-off even last night um, and over the last few weeks. Um, they're probably the most interesting, but there's a tier below that I would you definitely put like Adobe in as well as Salesforce. But, you know, those have been the best performers for like some of the best performing stocks over the last decade. But then it's very hard to look at them and make them work now. 
Um, you know, Adobe's trading at, I guess, you know, 5% free cash flow yields, kind of interesting on that. But, you know, you do wonder, have they milked that cow sufficiently? And now that their only way out is to raise prices, um, do really strict licensing. It's kind of like, um, I guess, the difference between a MongoDB and like an Oracle or something, where one's like super easy to sign up. The kind of challenge is super easy to sign up, super friendly. The incumbent kind of spends a lot on legals, a lot on kind of um, marketing and legals, basically. Um, which then leaves a space for these new entrants. But, you know, imagine if you, like we looked at Adobe because like, okay, what are the highest quality companies that are down 50%, trading super cheaply, um, buying back shares? Um, and Adobe is one of the ones that, you know, kind of fits that category. Um, but, you know, you could have just, you know, on a, after a really, like that, that's just a third of its value now in like a couple of weeks. So it's still really treacherous out there for tech investors. Um, and then for every Figma, you know, well, there's not that many, but, they got a rare outcome at like hundred times sales. Um, but then all the listed companies are trading at like mid single digit EV sales. Um, and there's big question marks over, 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 you know, are, are they actually going to recover? And the reason for that is they're just still diluting very heavily. You know, we talked about this on the podcast before. So we, we talked about Twilio, um, I think last week. So there was an update on them as well. So they, they reduced their workforce by 11%. So that's now interesting because for these companies, Twilio's obviously got Twilio's a bit different because they do messaging. So they have have to pay. It's it's low gross margin than typical software business because they have to pay carriers. Um, but you know, still software engineers are still like kind of and and staff is still the main expense. So an eleven percent reduction in workforce is pretty serious. Um, that will actually impact margin, not necessarily by eleven percent, but certainly by a sizable amount. And it does kind of show it is like another list of founders were really slow, like founder CEOs were really slow to like recognize and adjust. Like it's September now. Um, and this all kicked off, you know, Twilio probably picked a year and a half ago. And now you're seeing the workforce reduction. Um, and, you know, it was, it was interesting that in that, in that, in that, in his, in his note that he sent out, the CEO, Jeff Lawson, he said they were going to do it in an anti-racist way. I think that was interesting because like, it's just, it's an interesting way to put it. It's not like non-racist or neutral. It's kind of like anti-racist. Like what does yeah, that exactly I mean, imply? Uh, I mean, look, I mean, obviously he's implying, you know, we're going to disproportionately sack um, you know, in the in kind of US vernacular white white people. I mean, presumably that's what he's saying. Um, I mean, who knows? He, he, he was, it was a pretty, um, you know, it was, it was, it's obviously part of the whole zeitgeist right now. Um, you know, if, if, I, if I were a founder, you know, there's these companies accrue all this kind of debris they've got all these apparatchiks these diversity officers and other fake jobs in the business um that you know you would have thought would be the kind of first yeah, to go Seven hundred thousand a year paid in stock the employees yeah, sell the so, stock to... so so you know if i were him i'd say what he said and then just get rid of all the debris regardless um mm. you know, i call me old-fashioned but you know you don't hire and fire based on race you know like what like what martin luther king's uh said you know um yeah, it's the it's a you know uh, I have a dream that you know it's 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 on the content of um uh sorry it's not the color of his skin but people will be judged but not the color mm. of his skin but the content of their character and so um so who knows how they're gonna hire and fire maybe it will be race based that seems to be an increasing fashionable thing um in 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 the U S but overall um you know, it's it's not surprising that they're kind of cutting costs it's surprising that they took this long. Yeah. I mean, what has been kind of interesting, like the last couple of weeks, 
um, indices have been smashed and growth has held up pretty strong. Like even last night, NASDAQ was down one and a half, Microsoft down three, not really on any news, rather just like macro effects. Um, and then you see ARK was up to, you know, we had a pretty solid day. Um, I wonder if it's kind of like, it almost reminds me of previous crashes where the growth stuff sold off first and then kind of stabilized. And then as people pull money out of the market, like quantitative tightening and those kinds of things, it's less relevant for like a $2 billion company. It's extremely relevant for like a Microsoft, Google, like the big components of the index, like there's no hiding um, from them. So, and and I also saw like in, when biotech bottomed a few months ago, there was like a day where it was just psycho volume. It was like, whoa, like why every single biotech traded like multiples of what it usually did and rallied hard. And you did kind of see that in software, you know, there, there was there was a day or two like that where a lot of companies kind of like just popped on huge volume. Um, and I think you can still, you can be bearish on everything and still be very positive on, on some of these companies, especially now that they're down 70, 80% plus, you know, this is really like that you're basically assuming an extremely likely percentage of these companies failing at those prices. Um, when reality, obviously they're all sitting on huge cash balances and they're all actually out, the vast majority will survive. So that was, I think that was an interesting thing, but you know, to continue on the markets, it's a pretty ugly CPI print. It came in pretty hot. Um, it was things like housing that kind of drove it. Um, and it really kind of pushed back. There was kind of a hope that peak inflation was behind us. Certainly that headline year on year number. Um, but this just, that print, the market reacted so violently because it kind of suggested that there actually is a fair bit to go. Um, and combined with the Fed's statements a couple of weeks ago, um, the only way they're really going to get a handle on this is likely to actually, you know, continue hiking to the point where they're dramatically increasing unemployment and reducing all those pressures. But like the consumer itself is still pretty strong. Like people are still spending, um, people are still paying up for goods, um, people are spending up on housing. So that's a bit of a, a sketchy, sketchy kind of outlook. Um, uh, I guess I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like the macro guy. I guess um, if we kind of zoom back six months or so um i guess the thesis was interest rates are going to rise because inflation's rising and i guess um directionally like i'm not i'm i'm, I'm really bad it's kind of week to week month to month thing like i, I think overall that thesis is playing out and, and that's mm. probably was our view six months ago and we kind of um acted accordingly directionally and and that's just kind of playing out either they're interesting i'm keen for your view i reckon the most interesting play out of the kind of fangs is facebook or meta as they're called now like it feels like sentiment is like maximally negative on on facebook its share price has been smacked it's spending like a wounded bull on its meta platform and no one really knows like what it is or, or kind of what it does but I, I kind of like i'm kind of holding out to be honest that um you know, it's trading on something ridiculous like eight times EBITDA or something. So you know, I haven't checked recently, but like, like, like I mean, the question is why are people out there buying random businesses at like 15 times EBITDA? We can buy like Meta for like eight times. So I guess the, the question is, you know, it has Zuck, Zuck's kind of bet everything on this new direction. He's renamed this company, spending a ton on the metaverse, whatever that is. Is that kind of like a VR universe mm. or, or something else? Is that going to work or not? And I guess like my, my first protocol is like back you know, visionary founders, uh, you know, and, and he's like one of the most successful in all of history and, and he's got a controlling stake and he's steering Meta where it's going. But, you know, and, and he's done that successfully, kind of transitioning from browser to mobile, et cetera. But the question is, has, hmm. has he stuffed up? 
you know, like, is this, yeah. this a mistake? I think the market's kind of pretty bearish on it, but you know, I, I in 10 years time, I could totally see universe where they you know, they're like, yeah, Instagram, he's done it again. You know, he's, he's done this unbelievable visionary thing yeah. that made this unbelievably uh, visionary bet again. Look, I have some pretty strong views. It's easier when I don't have a dog in the fight to kind of see these things. I'd say like huge mistakes I've made this year were relying too much on sentiment and sentiment is like, we basically pick, you can pick like the interim lows almost to the day, you know, like we tweeted like the biotech is probably bottomed here, like within a day or two um, in like Jan, Feb and like kind of um, May, June, kind of like you have a very good feeling when like the panic is like excessive, but then so many things then like rallied and then pushed to significant new lows. So the fact that people are bearish is is something that like, <laughs> it's not something like, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a tough year for that. You know, the 10 years previously, once that like sentiment reached like a peak, um, and you can measure it by the VIX, you can measure it by, you know, actual investor positioning, investor sentiment. Generally, if you bought then, you did outstandingly well, you know, because these companies ripped 30, 50% within weeks and probably doubled or tripled before the next sell-off. But this was one where, you know, if you bought those dips, you're probably happy for a few weeks, like, wow, you know, everything just rallied. But, you know, three months later, you know, they, they were down 20, 30, 40% um, from that. I think Meta, Facebook also has an issue is there's like a cycle of these companies. It's like you build the users you then slowly start monetizing and then you just, as night follows day, you just have to crank up, crank up the kind of like monetization. And that creates like this general fatigue. And then people just slowly stop using the platform. So you can see it with Facebook. Like so many people have stopped using it. I'm sure you've noticed that you, you are you on Facebook. I, of course I'm on Facebook. I've been on for like a decade plus now, you know, as soon as it came out. I got off like a couple of years ago. So I'm, I'm the exact example yeah, of what you're describing. I, I, yeah, I just I, kind of, I never use it. And like, why would I go? It's just like angry political speech. And, you know, maybe if you got married, you'd post photos on it, you know, and Instagram's going down a similar route where it used to be so delightful. Um, and now they're cranking up the monetization, making a ton of money. But, you know, I'm like, my, my feed is just full of random reels. And weirdly enough, Facebook, I think what's happening, what ultimately happening is Facebook is like, people like to see this stuff. And it's kind of true. Oh, they like to be engaged. And it is true. Like maybe I do click on these reels and I do watch them so that a data analyst would be like this. He's liking more reels. We can pump more to him. It's, it's He's opening his phone more. Let's show him some more ads as well. He's still using it as much as ever. But in the background, you kind of, it's taking a toll and eventually you're just like, actually, you know what? I'm just not that interested in this anymore. Or my face, my, my Instagram chat with family um, is now full of random reels I don't really care about, and I don't think of that funny. <laughs> you know, so. It is weird. Like I, I'm not a I'm I, I, I've never had Instagram, and so I, like I barely know what reels are. But I did see some charts comparing reels against TikTok and how much less successful it is. And and you know like it's it, it's not surprising here that um, eventually you know um, something would emerge. Yeah, like Instagram emerged to smack Facebook and thankfully Facebook bought it. And but, multiple, you know, multiple companies before that went on this arc up. Yeah. Down. Cool kids get on, cool kids get off or, or rather yeah. like there's a long period. Like That's a, right. It's not like a it's decade. It's pretty fickle, like isn't it? Yeah. And then like all of a sudden it's kind of cute at first when your parents and your grandparents are on it, but then your conversation moves elsewhere. Like your natural yeah. free flowing conversation is no longer on the platform where everybody is. And so the hesitation with Facebook is, their terminal, their main platforms are in decline. Um, there's no way, like, that's just the reality. And Instagram's still going red hot, um, but they're just going to keep cranking up the monetization, keep cranking up the reels, um, hopefully not politics. But, um, you know, the, the platform, the quality of the platform is going to deteriorate as they continue to monetize it. Um, that's just like a fact, I think. I shouldn't say it's a fact, but that's like my view on it. 
Um, and so then you've got a, a company with, you know, well, I guess they've got WhatsApp as well, but you've got three platforms to largely in decline um, or certain post growth. And now you have to invest massively in the metaverse. Like to me, it's, there's so many examples of companies. Once they start getting in that decline, it's not really how you make money. Like I think, and again, we've, I've certainly made those mistakes this year where you're too focused on the stuff that's smashed up um, and cheap. You know, you know, another thing I'll, I'll point out is, uh, is this idea about valuation. I'd say uh, looking back over the last four years, <laughs> funnily enough, we're probably too valuation focused in the sense that we would have done better even after this whopping big sell-off where valuations have collapsed across the board we would have done better with the highest quality companies that were trading mm. at premium. And that is like, I know that's fact because I've been watching these companies for years. It would have been better paying off for Datadog, you know, years ago and just riding that um, because sure, yeah, it's, it's dropped, you know, similar, not quite as much as like a Facebook or something um, or, or, or a Shopify or Twilio, nowhere near that much, but it's down a lot. But the three, four year compound or the two year compound number is much better. Um, and I almost think now the opportunity is probably less well, actually, you could argue there's, I think there's like three, maybe four opportunities. It's kind of, firstly, the really smashed up tech platforms that should, over the coming years, continue to grow and eventually turn around. Um, you know, whether it's Spotify, Shopify, these like names, you know, they were so red hot um, and now they're so ice cold, but they're real businesses. They're not doing 200 mil of revenue. You know, they probably have like 200 to mil to a billion users, um, which they can monetize and which use the product every day. Um there's definitely an opportunity. There will be an opportunity at some point. The right ones are those, and the, and a lot of them are trading at their lows now. The right ones are those will do many, many multiple times um, over over the years if they don't dull it too much down here. The other opportunity is actually in the really high quality stuff that you're usually just not going to be able usually not going to be able to buy a company growing at 80 percent organically um, at you know maybe ten times forward sales. Uh, and the reason that obviously the reason that's relevant is because software companies at scale have 30, 40% margins, you know, so they can actually, and start buying back shares. And that's the journey. If you look at when a lot of these companies, you actually want to buy them when they're more expensive and the ones that have done really well, there's exceptions to this. Like obviously Adobe and those ones came out of the GFC trading at like very low single digit EV sales and that helped their performance. But a lot of the best companies, you know, just went increased in size revenues by tenfold. Um, and if, if you wanted to invest in them, you had to invest in them when they're growing super fast and super expensive. Um, but, you know, the other thing is, the other opportunity is actually in small mid caps, kind of gaps, growth and value. So we bought Crocs. There's a lot of companies at single digit PEs that are growing 20, 30, 40%. And that part of the market has been hit almost as hard as tech. Um, and on like a PE basis, you know, all the money's flowed into from small caps into big caps to large caps and mega caps in the first six months of this year. Those things are trading astonishingly cheaply. Uh, and unlike unlike say a tech company that's diluting at five, 10% a year, um, you know, these companies are reducing their share count by 5% a year. And if you've got a world where like net liquidity is being removed from the system and people are like redeeming from funds and like people are selling out of the market, moving to cash um, and you can get three, 4% or even 5% in like a bank, um, you know, there's money moving out. The companies that can actually buy their own shares, like at least, you know, there's somebody there on the other side. Uh, I think that's a pretty compelling opportunity at the moment. So we're doing a lot of work on a few of those companies. Um, obviously, you want to make sure they're kind of still hitting like that growth target, still very strong top line, still like fully consistent with what what we believe will be the best performing companies. Um, 
yeah, just it, it, it is funny. You know, I remember a couple of years ago, a whole bunch of folks were talking about how nothing trades on single digit P's anymore. And the good old days when they were trading on single P digit, you know, uh, single um single digit P's and you could kind of pile in and and that was a no brainer, they made a ton of money. And now you've got all these single digit P's and, and everyone's scared. And so it's always so hard to um use that judgment in 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 the moment i have to say to be honest like i you know i, I do look at public stocks occasionally and, and kind of think through theses whatever but i am so at heart a private markets investor you know you can kind of take your time take a view on a company take a view on valuation take a view on um, hold horizon and, and, and exit, um, mm. but you, you you can ignore basically the kind of schizophrenic monthly and you know weekly and um, quarterly yeah. movements and even the way you describe it, it's so hard for a public equities investor to um, refrain from uh, being dragged into sentiment and momentum and technical and liquidity considerations yeah. and all that. And I just like, it all looks too hard for me. The other beauty, the other beauty of private investing is you actually can do proper due diligence inside of inside the company. Yeah. So you're working with like Adobe can't tell you that they might be buying Figma, but I imagine if you're investing in a company as a private equity tech investor. Yeah. You can fund their acquisitions. You can fund their acquisitions and they're not going to be able to buy something stupid without you. <laughs> yeah. Whereas you could have done, imagine the amount of, like you could have done so much work on Adobe and then just working up and maybe you could have figured out they're going to do something like that i'd say like 20 billion that it still surprises me that like adobe is not microsoft either um i wonder what their market cap is now it, was about well, it kind of validates vc you know like i mean i i don't know canvas revenue i i i i, I don't know like i don't think it'd be like sheep stations um but you know their 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 last round was at a similar valuation and, and previously it was, it was like a, a lot higher so um it kind of validates you know, a lot of VC valuations for for these companies. That so... does. That very much does. Um, but, you know, again, like Canva, $55 billion round last year, even that's, there's so few companies that are going to pay that. The, uh, there's only one. I'm trying to think if there's anybody that could pay $55 billion other than, say, Microsoft, Google. Like Adobe, I just checked it. So it was 170 down to $145 billion market cap last. So this th that's... Them spending twenty billion on Figma is a huge deal. It's a lot, and and they've they've got they do sixteen billion of sales, so they diluted hmm. almost fifty. It's enormously 15, diluted. They diluted hmm. fifteen percent to increase sales from sixteen point seven billion to sixteen point nine. Yeah, like that yeah, that's is wild. That's wild. There's no that this is this isn't that this isn't a. I I don't believe this would be looked upon as a wise acquisition with the passage of time. Um, can, can I um. Uh, just go back to something you were saying earlier, which, which, I thought, which I've kind of been thinking about since you said it. You said, um, yeah, there's this natural arc in, in 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 social media where, you know, it's cute when your grandparents come on or whatever, but then organic conversation goes elsewhere. Um, yeah, I kind of, I'm like half addicted to Twitter and that's basically the only platform I'm on, oh, not Instagram, whatever. Like Twitter's derangements match my derangements best rather than the other platforms. And um, and one of the reasons I love it is because no one I know is on it. I mean, now I've got all these Twitter friends, whatever, and we met off Twitter, etc. Yeah, but like, um, yeah, and, but and and that, and that's cool. But like, basically, I've got like two friends or like three friends who you know, in the real world uh, or in professional circle circles who kind of, you know, I interact with or follow me or whatever. And every time I meet them, they're like 
talking to me about things I haven't like spoken to in six months, but they're like they feel extremely close because there's something surreptitious and something like rebellious about being this alternate universe of Twitter where you know it's like the opposite of LinkedIn in terms of networks mm. and vibes and things pe- pe- people say and so um I think that is interesting like I, I what I love about it is like even though I'm not anonymous on or pseudonymous on, on Twitter it feels that way because no one I know is really on it so um yeah, yeah. I, I thought that was interesting yeah Twitter is mon- under monetized even though they almost certainly have been uh I'm not sure lying is the right word, but somewhat fibbing over their users. <laughs> well, if they have been, you know, I read, I'm not the one to notice, I read this somewhere where it's Matt Levine or someone else, but they notice, you know, if they have a whole bunch of bots, that means like revenue per user is higher than, than they've been saying. It's actually like That's a good yeah. thing in terms of the quality yeah, right. of the business. So, um, so I don't know. I mean, this whole, you know, the, Matt, Matt Levine is the go-to guy on, on, on this, on this subject, but the whole, um, Elon Musk trying to like weasel his way out of this deal. It's so beautiful to watch him being forced to buy this like company for like $50 billion. Yeah. Okay. So one last thing we've spoken a fair bit about AI. Um, I saw someone posted, um, this new uh, like Chrome plugin called Adept. And basically it, it allows you to um, type in a sentence and it'll just like do it for you or source information for you. And, and so, so for example, one example that which I thought was really interesting. So um, instead of like, you know, 10 clicks through, um, through, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, through Salesforce or whatever, it'll automate those workflows for you um, anyway. And so what I kind of see there, I, I, I feel like, you know, you mentioned this before, there were an inflection point in, in AI. Um, I, I think um, uh, I, I think that's going to be touching software land soon. It's not just creative where you've got DALI and, and um, stable diffusion and the like. I think, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how software companies focus on dashboards and workflow automation and the like how much of that gets eaten by ai yeah i mean that's fascinating because like if you can get a tool that does that through the web you can access so much information so i think one of the examples they had i had a look after you sent through the link it was kind of like find me a house you know good for four people under eight hundred thousand in this part of the world you know and, and then immediately it'll go through all the the ai will then go through all the the real estate websites and like compile something for you and send you a dossier um, it just shows you all that information is accessible if you can get an AI that can respond to voice prompts or text prompts. Yeah, it, it is. Access. It does it destroy Google? You know, why would you happen. not use good? Why would you not use this instead of instead of Google? You know, I mean, well, think that makes like, Google a backend. Like this tool probably would use Google, but yeah, it probably exactly. would, probably wouldn't click on any ads. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, 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 I mean, it's only a peak. It's only like demo mode. But like to your point about this year being inflection in AI, I think we're starting to get a sense that actually, you know, um, this could quickly start eating big chunks of of the world. Yeah, and and on the software, I think AI is getting pretty good at software as well. So there's a tool called Replit that allows you to kind of like build software in the browser. And I was just looking at some of their, their tools, you, know, you can like click code. It'll explain what this piece of code does. The AI does as you start writing, like there's so much kind of boilerplatey stuff that you have to do. Um, and that can assess your code. See if you're missing anything complete whole, like, like multiple lines, not like complete, like the next word or the next kind of phrase. Um, but you know, like literally whole paragraphs of, of code. Um, it will then like suggest for you, 
Um, it makes total sense. It makes like, this is, so yeah. much of that should be automated. I, I, I'm really pleased to be an investor in in, in Replit through through a fund. Oh really? Um, so um, so I, like I've got. That'd I'm, be I'm amazing glad you mentioned company, it yeah. And that's like it's going to be an amazing company. That company's like young. What is it? Two years old or something? Like Super young. Yeah. The the founders this um, amazing story kind of came out of Jordan. Uh, learned to code, went through a Y. I, actually, I, I think he was rejected at YC, but anyway, I think he's doing like uh, he and his. I think his wife or uh, or, or sister or something. They're the founders. Uh, I, I don't, don't 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 hang me on that. Um, but yeah, I think they've got an unbelievable story, and it's a it's a brilliant product. Yeah. My, my, I've seen my kids and my wife kind of um, giving me the <laughs> evil eye as as we're in News Center and I'm ch- chatting to you. So. Um, so, I mean, we should uh, we should wrap up, eh? Sounds good. Let's wrap up then and we'll go again next week. That was really fun. Speak next week. Thanks, Misha. Bye. Bye.